Welcome to Harnessing Your Wealth with Billy Peterson. As the founder and CEO of Peterson Wealth Services and a former number one ranked jockey, Billy knows what it takes to succeed. In this podcast, Billy and his team will help equine enthusiasts, business owners, and retirees understand the keys to financial freedom. Saddle up and get ready for a ride you won't soon forget on how you can harness your wealth. Hello, gang, and welcome once again to Harnessing Your Wealth. I'm your host, Billy Peterson. You have joined us today to dive into a conversation that I hope you're going to find valuable. We have stopped and tried to assess the situation here in our country with regards to the investment demographics. And let's just talk about the percentage of people who actually start investing and the lack thereof. So I wanted to take a look and see for myself how many people in this country are actually investing their own money and putting away things for retirement. And I was shocked to what I found out. Only 14% of adults in this country have 100,000 or more saved for retirement. And then when you kind of say, all right, well, what about the age group of those nearing retirement? And I call that 55 to 64. Only 26% of that demographic has 100,000 or more saved for retirement. And I was, again, shocked at what I saw. And I guess because we have, we spend all of our time, Sean and myself, Sean's on the call today, on this show today. And we spend so much time in our own profession and dealing with things like helping people build wealth and investment strategies for their money that we lose sight of the fact a lot of people don't do it and they've never been taught how to do it. And what we want to do is speak to those of you out there who maybe need that advice and need that a little bit of help on how to get started. Interestingly as well, as you would imagine, 95, 96% of people in this country have assets at a financial institution. And what what you read by that is that they have a bank account. So 95% of the people here in this country have a bank account. 82% of people in this country own a vehicle or at least have one in their name, not yet maybe owned, but they're paying payments on it. 62% of the people in the country have equity in a home. 58% of people have money in a retirement account of some sort, IRA, 401k, or otherwise. And then it falls off clear down to 25% of the population have an investment account. Now, on the flip side, when we talk about debt, 55% of people in this country have some sort of unsecured debt. Now, crazy to think, watch this, 42% of the people in the country have credit card debt. So isn't that a stark contrast between the people who have credit card debt and the people who own stock or mutual funds is only 25%. I find that, I find that alarming and scary in a lot of cases. So this show today is going to be drilling down on how we help people get started investing and maybe not necessarily us, but Maybe giving you as the listener the tools and the advice and the clear-cut steps that you need to take to become 
person empowered by their with their future and to take what you know and put that into some sort of a concrete plan to where you can build more wealth than you would have otherwise just relying on the home the equity in your home is not going to be enough to help you get retired we're going to walk through all of these things today i think the very first thing that may come to your mind is if you haven't started investing yet is just how do you start Sean, what do you say to that? Well, thanks for having me on again, Billy. It's always always good to come on and, and chat with you. And I think this is a very important topic. And those facts that you said are are crazy to me. But how do you start? I, I think the first thing a person should look at, you know, if they're employed and they're working, what does your employer offer? Most employers out there are going to offer some type of retirement plan. If it's in the private sector, it's likely going to be a 401k plan. If it's in government, it's going to be like a TSP plan or maybe a 403b or 457. Everyone's kind of heard those numbers jumping around. I think that's the easiest place to start is talking to your your boss or your HR person. Hey, what what does the company offer? Can I sign up? And once you sign up for that plan, your contributions become automatic into that plan, you know, based on when you're getting paid. Similar to how you talked about people building home equity in their home. Well, why are they doing that? It's because they're forced to pay their mortgage and part of that payment's going towards equity in the home. Well, why not do the same thing with some liquid assets like a, you know, 401k um, and make that an automatic thing, just like you do with your home. The beauty of the 401k is it's really easy to get signed up. And I'll, I'll, I'll say that most of these plans, 401k, 403 b 457, will offer a match by the company or the entity. So you're putting your own money in, they're matching it. You're getting a hundred percent return already on that match. That's the easiest place I think to start. Right. And people who take advantage of that, oftentimes that's really the biggest asset over time because we've shown that equity prices, if you invest properly, far and away outpace real estate appreciation. So it becomes the the largest asset. Of course, it's important because you have that to to retire with. You can't necessarily retire on the equity in their home unless you're going to sell it or do a reverse mortgage. And give it back to the bank. So, Sean, what if they, what if these people that are listening don't have a 401k or retirement plan at their company, or maybe they, they don't even have a job yet to look yeah. for that? Yeah. I mean, if your company doesn't offer any type of retirement plan, one of my favorite accounts, especially this may be geared a little bit towards younger investors, Roth IRAs. I think it's one of the most powerful accounts that we have available to us. So you're putting after-tax dollars into a Roth IRA. That money gets invested, grows for years until your retirement, and you get to pull that money out tax-free in retirement. That's a huge advantage to have a tax-free income stream in your retirement. And those are very easy to set up. You know, you can talk to a financial institution. Um, we're not talking banks here in this conversation. Okay. I think everyone needs to be clear. There's a difference between saving money and investing money. So opening up a, a Roth IRA, and as long as you qualify for contributions, which the biggest one is, do you have earned income? Then you can likely put money into a Roth IRA. Very and what happens if you maybe 
become ineligible. You phase out your earnings, your income is is too much, too great. And then you, all of a sudden you you're not you're not allowed to contribute to a Roth. Yeah, if you're not qualified to con- contribute to a Roth, an investment account, very easy to set up where you can do the same thing where you set up um monthly or bi-weekly contributions into an investment account, money goes in, gets invested for you and grows over time. The difference is is instead of that growing tax-free, you're just going to pay taxes as you go. Okay, when you when you have realized gains in that account, you're going to pay taxes in that tax year. And and don't let that scare you from having that type of account. It's great to have money in 401k assets, Roth IRA assets, and investment accounts. You should have a little bit of money in all of those because they're treated differently and they have different uses. You know, and I I I think some people get a little bit intimidated by okay, maybe I've set up my account. I'm ready to get rolling on this. And then they pull up a, a list of, you know, in your 401k, you're going to have a list of available funds to you. And like an investment account, you're going to be open to the world. And some people will get a little intimidated, shy, because they're not sure how to invest it. So Billy, if I'm all set up, I, I, I spoke to the people and they got all set up. How do they invest their money? What What should they be thinking about? I think this is what trips most people up because they they feel like they don't know enough and they don't want to make a mistake and they don't want to see their money lost. So it's like I quit it to me. Somebody tells me to go out there and build rebuild a car from scratch. I wouldn't have a clue how to do that. And I wouldn't even want to get started. So I just basically fold it up and say, forget about it. Give give it to somebody else. I won't even get get that out of the garage. But what happens with this is you don't need a degree. You don't need uh, some sort of certification to be able to grow your wealth by doing just a few basic things. The first and easiest one is to buy a mutual fund or what's called an exchange traded fund. I don't want to get too technical on this show, but you can buy a basket of stocks. So let's say, for example, the S&P 500, you can buy that index through what's called the SPY index, Spider S&P 500. And now you're owning you're owning a fund that represents all 500 of those companies. So you're participating in the market as a whole. And that's one of the easiest ways. Now in your 401k, you're going to choose things like maybe life cycle funds or life stage funds where they allow you to pick a fund of funds or a group of funds based on your age or based on how many years you have until you plan to retire. So if you're 35 years old and you say, I'm going to retire when I'm 60, you can say they either have one that's called the age 60 fund or the 25 plus year to retirement fund. So it's easy. Pick that one, contribute to it, move forward. Don't worry too much. The other option is if you want to get a little bit more savvy and do some more work, you can create your own portfolio. You can select the funds within that 401k basket. And there you may need some advice from an advisor. If you feel like you want to just have somebody overseeing it, and we do that all the time for clients, they'll send us their their list and ask us to take a look and help them with some allocation choices. Growth funds, the, the, the younger you are, the more I would say you would want to allocate to growth funds and the less to the fixed income or bond funds. Now, 
the other option when we talk about these investment accounts is do you want to just buy the stocks yourself, individual stocks versus the mutual funds? Remember, there's pros and cons of each. The mutual funds is set up to where you have a manager handling it for you, deciding which stocks to buy and sell. You're owning all those in a pool with other investors. You don't have to do a lot of decision making, but you're paying for that. So that's the downside. You're paying a fund management fee to do that. You're exposed to taxation. You don't have your own, you don't control your own fate when it comes to the taxable distributions. If so, if you want to, to turn that into your own kind of control and have more power over what happens and select the stocks yourself, then hey, you build your own individual stock portfolio. Some people can do this and others are terrible at it. And they, they're terrible at it because one, number one, they get emotional. And when emotions are hard for you to handle, you should not be doing your own stock picking. When you're picking stocks, guys, it's I like to think of it as you're out, you're, you're out there looking for things you want to buy. And let's say products and services, and you go to a store, you go to a company's offerings, let's say, for example, Apple. And you're like, you're a big advocate. You're a big fan of their products, their iPhone, everything that they they put out, you love, you want to buy. And you look around, you think everyone's buying these things. What about investing in this company? So I like to equate it with this, with this concept. If someone offered you an ownership interest in Apple, let's say it was a private company and they... They approached you and said, hey, Bob, we're going to sell some shares and I wonder if you want to be my partner in this business. Knowing what you know about Apple, you'd probably say, you're damn right I want to buy into this company. This thing's amazing. How much is it going to take? So that's kind of in a nutshell what it's like to become an owner in a, a company through the public markets. You get to decide on a daily basis. Do you want to be an owner? Do you want to be a seller? I can go out there and buy shares in any publicly traded stock on any given day of the week when the markets are open. And it's all about what you find to be a value. Here's here's the problem. You you see some people want to buy into these stocks and then immediately want to sell them when the news gets a little scary or somebody on TV jumps on and said, hey, the outlook for this company is bad. I would sell. Or some other problem in the economy, some change in pol in politics, a war breaks out. I mean, everybody starts going crazy when these things happen and you forget, you lose sight of, you are an owner in this company. You're not an owner in, in the politicization of the US economy. You're, you're an owner in the company, the business. What is the business going to do long-term? I always try to get clients to remember that. Stay with your long-term focus on why you wanted to buy, buy it in the first place. I remember, Sean, when I started in this business, it was in 1996 and when i was so i was so young i didn't really know exactly what was the best strategy for my clients i had a number of clients and i was representing them try to do the best i could but i see all the other advisors in the brokerage firm and i worked at Payne weber at the time and there were so many different opinions all the all the other advisors had a different strategy or method or or recommendation for their clients what they were going to do but i remember specifically one old man by the name of les bryant who is there in that office and his entire strategy was based on recommending individual stocks 
to his clients. And he represented maybe 80 different client or households. But by far and away, he was the most successful as far as what he provided to his clients year in and year out rate of return on their money. I think he was averaging over 17% a year by recommending small yet profitable individual stocks. So he would recommend those. He would pick them. He would research them. And he wouldn't be buying mutual funds and all these (laughs) hosts of other products that, that have come out since then. But that's one strategy that people need to think about is owning individual stocks for the long term, cutting out all the other things and staying with that strategy that works by buying good quality companies. I want to get rich quick, Billy. I want <laughs> I want something that's just going to blow up over the next two years. I mean, talk to people about that. I, I mean, I think that. it's important because it's on the news every single day. Well, we, we remember how many calls we got in 2020. Remember we're during the pandemic, Sean, I know it's been three years, but you still have a memory going back that got far. A, got a couple scars. Yeah. Light scars. 2020, when everybody got locked out of their job and were forced to stay home a lot, and then we were collecting unemployment, they were collecting all sorts of benefits and they didn't know what to do with all that money because they couldn't go spend it anywhere. There was no vacationing, there was no dining out. So people got this kind of this bad habit of getting online and and deciding to do their own investment investing online. And that's when this whole craze with meme stocks took off. One of the most well-known, well, I'll give you two, GameStop and AMC. They, they're kind of the poster children mm-hmm. for the meme stock craze, if you recall. And why were they suddenly so popular? Social media was the driving force behind it with these people sitting at home deciding now they were very, very smart on how to invest in the stock market. Excuse me, we're almost in the home stretch for the episode. But before we cross the finish line, I just want you to know that you can contact Billy and his team at www.petersonws.com or by visiting the show notes. Now, back to harnessing your wealth. This is one thing I want to tell all my listeners here today. Do not follow this stuff, these social media so-called gurus. Most of them are, uh, we used to have a term for this back on the forum, dumb as a post. (laughs) When you get called dumb as a post, you know you're pretty dumb. But what happens there is these guys decide they're going to look at companies that are near bankrupt and they're on their last legs. They're on their dying breath. But the folks who decide to recommend that for investment are doing it based on the idea that you're going to squeeze these short sellers into having to buy those shares back. Short sellers are the folks out there who are looking at a company from a fundamental standpoint and saying, this company is not worth what it's trading at because it's a terrible business model. Their financials are terrible. They're going out of business. So they they sell the stock short. They're going to profit if it goes down in value. Well, all these short uh, sellers were loaded up negative on these companies and these new Reddit board posters for the meme stocks decide they're going to buy them. And when you get enough people going in to buy, that shoots those stock values up drastically. So the short sellers now are panicking because instead of it going down, the stock's going up, going against them, and they're losing money every day. It forces them to now buy their shares, which forces the price to go even higher. So they needed to buy and clear their clear their short, get out of it. Well, what happened with AMC, it went from like a dollar something a share, clear up to the into the 
$60 range. And the company was able to use that as leverage to refinance a bunch of debt, to issue a whole bunch more stock at those prices. The value was so far inflated above what the it was actually worth from a fundamental standpoint. And now all these people pounding the table and people who got in late end up losing their shirt. I mean, that stock last I looked was back down to six bucks a share from 60. And so these kind of things are terrible ideas. They're not going to make any money long-term. And, and you know, the other things we talk about all the time are the cryptos. Are folks that don't want to spend the time to invest and build up over a period of years, they want to build it up over a period of weeks. And they think they're going to get in and they're going to put $5,000 in Bitcoin or some other crypto, and it's going to turn into $5 million. And for every one of those, there's 10,000 people who lose it all. So I just want to tell you that that's not the strategy to build long-term wealth. I would very much steer clear of it. It's, Re it's Remember that. There's stories that are real. Yeah, it's speculating. You know, there's a difference between speculating and, and investing. And I think that's why it is important to consider working with an advisor. You know, an advisor, you know, someone brought that to, to our table and said, hey, guys, I think I'm put $100,000 in GameStop. We're going to pull up the financials of that company. We're going to look at it more in depth and not recommend it. And that's what a good advisor should do is they help you choose investments based on your risk tolerance, based on your goals, and based on an understanding of your overall financial situation. And I think one of the biggest things an advisor, a good advisor could do, because believe me, just like there's doctors that give bad advice or whatever profession, there, there's good ones and there's bad ones. And there are some bad advisors out there that have got their own interests ahead of yours. So you got to be careful with that. But where, where I was going with that is a good advisor will take the emotion out of investing for you. Because I, I've seen it. I've been doing this for 13, 14 years now. And that is where the biggest mistakes come is when, when a client gets emotional. So you need to have someone that can help remove that emotional decision-making for you, take the time to educate you, have someone that's gone through these cycles before because markets cycle, okay? Things come in and out of favor. And what you do in those critical turning points is, is so crucial for your long-term financial plan. Um, if, I, if I was not an advisor and I was going out and knowing what I know in this industry, I'd be asking some of these questions. How are you compensated? You know, are you are you transactional based or are you a, fiduci a fiduciary? Do, are are my interests as a client ahead of your interests as the advisor? How many clients do you service? Do you have minimums? I mean, you're you're trying to dig down to see what what type of an advisor, what type of firm are they are they running, and are you a good fit for for that situation? I think. Um, don't you agree, Sean, that most people could benefit from advisor? from the standpoint, mostly of just the emotional turmoil. I, I think it's so huge. I mean, I, I go back to your example, or I guess my example of putting money in the 401k and you're starting from scratch, right? Let's say you get a 10% return and you've got $1,000 invested. Well, 10% in my book is a pretty good return, but you look at it as, as the client and say, well, I only made $100. Well, that's where an advisor would step in and say, yes, you did. But imagine when this count when that now we're at 1100 and that starts earning and you start compounding before you know it, you know, you've got half a million dollars in there. Now you get a 10% return. 
that's $50,000 to most people that's meaningful money. So having someone educate you and, and build this plan for you. So you don't get disappointed or you don't make irrational decisions. I think it's huge. I think everybody could benefit from having an advisor, right? You know, it's like, it's like having a coach or it's like having a, you know, I bet we all have people in our life when we have an issue or we're thinking about something, we go ask them like, Hey, what do you think about this? I'm thinking of doing X, Y, Z. We all have that in our life. And having someone that you can turn to with financial decisions, I think is so important. And it's very critical that you turn to the right person who actually does this for a living, not just somebody who represents. Oh, so I think so many people. When when you mentioned the social media stuff, like I've got an Instagram account and it knows I'm an advisor, right? So it's throwing up all these different algorithms, and I see these guys boom in your face and they're talking about do this or follow my strategy. Like I laugh at it because that's not advice guys. They know nothing about your situation. You need to sit down with someone that'll take the time to ask you the questions that need to be asked and determine how they can help you. It's funny and also sad because they're just doing that to try to gain followers. Oh yeah. And so many people out there don't know any better. So they start following and think they must have some good advice because they're always posting something and it seems good and it seems like it's going to help them get where they want to go. And there's that, there's that person, there's that man or woman at pretty much every company who claims to be the protege or the, the expert in, in all things financial. And so I would be careful of buying in too much. You know, there's, there's some, but some of them are good. Some of them are patient. They're knowledgeable. They have, they have clearly thought through their strategies and their processes and their recommendations. And then there's others who, who always just think they're smart, smarter than everybody else. Um, and I can't tell you how many train wrecks I've seen from people who have followed advice like that and lost a ton of money from it. It's so important to get invested. What's it all for, Bill? I mean, end goal with this. Yeah, it just goes back clear back to when I started out investing when I was 14 years old. And I really just wanted to have my money working for me. To me, it's like it's like if I'm a, a builder and I've got a garage full of tools and and I just never take them out of the box. Or if I'm a farmer and I I have a brand new tractor, but I don't ever want to back it out of the shed because I just I want to look at it. Well that's kind of to me synonymous with somebody who has a lot of money or has any money, but just wants to look at it and never have it work for him or her. So this is the big difference. I want my money to work for me. I want it to be doing something to him. I want it to employ it and have it produce more. So if, if I'm thinking about that, I'm thinking, get get this money invested some way, shape, or form that's going to earn money back and going to grow and kind of create an orchard. And, and then from there, I'm, I'm just going to create more and more and more and I'm not saying more is always better. I'm not saying you have to be greedy. You can do whatever you want when you have this money. Why are you investing? Well, number one, for financial freedom and security for your family. Who can tell me that that's a bad thing? If you have a good argument for that, please reach out. But for me, I'm of the opinion that when you don't have to ask for things and beg for things and wait for handouts, you're in much better position otherwise than you would be otherwise. So I would say, look at how you can capitalize on starting as soon as possible, build your wealth by investing, but but plan to do it gradually. Don't try to hit home runs 
by investing in speculative assets that could just as easily or more likely than not go completely insolvent. Mm -hmm. They're gone. So remember the pensions of old, our fathers and grandfathers, grandmothers, those times are gone, folks. Companies don't offer the pension plans where you retire and then you just collect a monthly check for the rest of your life until you die. That's basically gone. They're dinosaurs right now. Those security, we all talk about this. It's going to be bankrupt if we don't do something. We not not saying you and I, I'm saying the country's leaders. (laughs) Is that likely to happen? Very unlikely. And the reason is because they're going to have to do something drastic and they're scared. They're all scared to death that they're going to lose their reelection if they do something to the dollars in social security. And it's sad that we have to get to this from our politicians. You know how we love them. We don't, by the way, but <laughs> you know, some term limits like that, we would solve so many of these problems because they wouldn't be worried about reelection. They'd be worried about doing the right thing. Do the right thing. We need to change how social security is set up and functioning too much of it is going away it's being dried up because we don't have enough retirees coming to serve the ones who's who are already retired so it's not a good feeling and i should talk to you about those statistics at the first of the show that's the that's the sad hard cold hard truth is there's not enough people in this country who have put a, put their own retirement in their own hands they're waiting for the government to take care of them that's not a good feeling, guys. Yeah, I, I love all those points that you made. And I, I think one thing that sticks out to me is we all, well, most of us, I mean, a lot of our farmer clients, they're going to work forever, but most of us are not going to work forever. So at some point, we're going to stop working and we're going to have to replace our own income. I think that's really what you're saying is because the pension's not going to be there. Social security is not going to be there. I want to just give our listeners a quick example. If you make $100,000, you know how much do you how much do you need to have saved or invested and put away to replace that hundred thousand dollar income? I would say just kind of basic rule of thumb: you need about two million dollars put away to replace that hundred thousand dollar income. Now that may some of you listening may say, "There's no way I'm going to get to that," but we're telling you if you start now as a beginner. It makes it a whole lot easier if you start now instead of delaying it year after year and all of a sudden you're you're 55, 60 years old to put away that kind of money is it's going to be impossible. So if you take these small steps now, like Billy said at the first of this, and just do a little a, a little bit of just self-motivation, a little bit of questioning, get the ball rolling. I don't think you'll regret it. I know you won't regret it because replacing that type of income, that's what you're going to need to have put away in your retirement years. And what if you want to retire early? We better start now. It becomes a mindset. It's just, Mm -hmm. it's just retraining yourself to do things different than you've always done. Or maybe your family's always done. If no one in your family has ever thought about building their own retirement, how about you change that narrative? You, you become the first and then you pass that along to your kids. You train people how to do things differently for something that's good, not saying do this for a bad outcome this is a good outcome if you can just start and it's not that hard to start guys it's really not there's a lot there are a lot of people out there to help you so i think in summary today remember we're talking about doing things that are basic and not complicated find the right people who can help you 
be leery of those who are over-promising or over-hyping something. Steer clear of investments that are high commission or too good to be true. Mm-hmm. And building wealth is, is a long-term endeavor. It's not something that you're going to do in two years or five years. It's going to take time. And I hope to God that there aren't listeners out there who are betting their retirement on Bitcoin. <laughs> I hope that if you're out there and you're one of those, I want you to call. <laughs> we need to have a serious interjection here and discuss some different strategies. Thanks for joining us. You've been listening to Harnessing Your Wealth with Billy and Sean. We're grateful for your time today, and we'll talk to you again next time. Thank you for listening to Harnessing Your Wealth with Billy Peterson. Before we declare the race official, please click the follow button so you can be notified when new episodes become available. For more information about today's show, please check out the show notes. Visit our website at www.petersonws.com or give us a call at 801-475-4002. Once again, thank you for listening. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Peterson Wealth Services. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning.